Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and our favorite way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events, concerts, and whatever else you want to go to. With the SeatGeek mobile app, you can quickly and easily buy tickets with just two taps and have your tickets delivered straight to your phone as you enter the event. If you can't make the event, SeatGeek now lets you transfer your tickets to your friends, post them for sale online, all from your phone. As a special offer to Channel 33 listeners, SeatGeek is giving $20 back off your first purchase with the code BSPN. To get $20 back off your first SeatGeek purchase, download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code BSPN. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan and on the other line... I am distracting him from his creative process. It's Andy Greenwald! I feel like you're wearing a cool vest, but I don't see the cool pants. Yeah, you could screenshot my cool vest and send it to your creative team. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm always on. I'm always watching. Chris, we have so much to talk about. It was a busy week during our uh, our fallow period last week. Like I know. The last few days of the week, things really I, popped off. I'm personally excited to get back to, 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 to where we, we really forged our friendship in the world of music the jukebox of life <laughs> <laughs> yes that's that is a very very relevant reference I think we are going to talk about new music from rihanna kanye west well not really music from kanye more just uh social media output from kanye west drake meek mill uh and he might talk about some old british people that he likes and then uh we are going to talk great, about great. Uh, a preview we're going to preview the people versus oj simpson which is coming out on fx on tuesday we're recording this on a monday uh as always you can listen to us on uh stitcher itunes soundcloud look for channel 33 go search that you can subscribe to channel 33 they're great podcasts not only the watch i mean you could call us great or you could just say we're okay but i really recommend checking out jam session with juliette Littman and amanda J- dobbins it's our uh, latest podcast. They're going to be doing uh, their own look at pop culture. I think they're going to be talking about Grease live. Wait, I'm pretty psyched for that. They na- they named it? I didn't know what it was going to be called. Jam Session. What's their show called? Jam Session. That's great. I, <laughs> I, I was kind of into... I thought it was going to be the Lemon Tree Chronicles. Uh, that might have been a little obscure. Uh, J- Jam Session is coming. It should be either uh, later today or early tomorrow morning. I'm subscribing. And, uh, and you just go ahead and subscribe to Channel 33. You're going to get all those great pods, plus sources say, Bachelor Party. Uh, I hear Bill Simmons has good podcasts, too. You can check those out. But, Andy, let's get to the beats. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about this Rihanna record? Yeah, this was interesting. Well, I mean, I feel like everything you mentioned, other than the old British people, which you know, we'll table for now, <laughs> kind of all part of the same conversation. Because last yeah. week was a fascinating case study in how we uh, talk about music now, how musicians talk about each other and music now, how things are promoted, how things are released. And, you know, we're obviously we're going to talk about Kanye, but everything Kanye's doing can and should be looked at as part of the buildup to his new album, Waves, which is now coming out next week, right? Yeah, and I think we were talking... To, we talked a little bit about it's this just last It's fascinating year. to contrast that with what Rihanna's doing, which is accidentally whoopsing her record that she'd been yeah. working on for three years right in the midst of this yes and we, we talked a little bit about this last year when i think to pimp a butterfly and um if you're reading this it's too late and some of those other records were coming out in this sort of was that like i guess when did pimp a butterfly come out January? Well, they were all early in the early part of the year i mean yeah, Drake, early 15 Drake was, was and there was a lot March. of 
but there was a lot of feeling like those records were speaking to one another or that those records the releases of those records were being influenced by one another and i certainly think that that's the case now where you see um kanye has got the, got a record coming out on the 11th we've got rihanna puts her record out she kind of slides it out there's rumors of a beyonce record coming off the back of her uh, Super Bowl appearance that's going to happen. And then Drake just announced this weekend that he's putting out Views from the Six in April um, and accompanied that with a new single. So a lot's going on. And Andy, you alluded to this with the the uh, the whoopsie with, with Rihanna. This is something, this is a record. It's the first time, uh, Auntie represents the first time that she has taken more than a year to release an album, right? So for the first, what, eight years of her career, it, Rihanna re- released a record every year. Yeah, she put out a record every year, and every one of those records was preceded by an absolute banger, world-beating mm-hmm. single. And then the last we heard of her, she took a number of journalists hostage on an airplane. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> that. It was basically, it was like Argo, but um, you know, with better hairdos. And then that was a wrap. And then it's just been a fascinating case study of what happens when an artist sort of, I think it's not a bad idea to like remove yourself from your comfort zone. Right, shake up the rhythm a little bit, so to speak. Sure, get out of that rat race of putting out an album every year. But then, what are you if you are not your rhythms? And Rihanna released three singles in 2015, all of which came with the pomp and circumstance of being the next big world-beating single that would herald the arrival of Anti, an album she'd been talking about since I think the single started last year. Fascinating to report, none of those singles made the record. And what, the ones I'm talking about are Four or Five Seconds with Kanye and uh, your third favorite Beatles, Sir Paul McCartney. <laughs> uh, then there was uh, Bitch Better Have My Money, which yeah. was, but without a doubt, the best Rick Ross single of 2015. And then there was some like like sub-Halsey nonsense called American, like, American Oxygen, Century. Which she, she performed it... I- I think an all-star game or a, a, an award show. I, I can't, I mean, for all I know, she could have performed at the NHL all-star game. I don't really remember American Oxygen <laughs> grasping the uh, the consciousness like she, that. She caught an L on that one. So, Auntie was supposed to come out exclusively on title last week after a lot of like... Is, sorry. Is, can, I know. Can we just have a little chuckle about that? We, we're going to have all a right, lot of on. chuckle. So, Rihanna had left Def Jam. She was sort of fully aligned with Rock Nation. She was going to put Auntie out, I guess on title exclusively for a week title had a like kind of a banana peel slip and and released it accidentally before it was ready then rihanna basically put up a link that was like you could just get it for free without having a title account can we talk about what's what was last week like for doug the it guy at title you know what i mean (laughs) like like doug Doug had a pretty rough hump day last week, you know, where he accidentally hit the wrong keystroke. And the next thing you know, it's not like like you we screw up at work, like that's not great. He, Doug screws up at work and he has Jay-Z and all those multimillionaires from the podium when they announced title right. last year being like, Doug. I just see Doug. D- Doug has got like, you know, maybe he's got a, a Chipotle a Chipotle like E. coli headache going and he's playing Fallout 4 <laughs> in his cubicle. He's like, I have nothing to do because I work a title. And he's just like playing. Oh, yeah. And they're like, Doug, just whatever you do, bro, I'm going to put a little masking tape over it with a post-it. Don't touch this button. That puts anti out. Don't touch it, Doug. What if... What if Doug is actually like the Laura Poitras journalist figure from <laughs> Homeland Season 5? And Doug is like, these rhythms want to be free. Yeah. He's, you know what I mean? Like, he's this Snowden No boundaries. Rhythm Snowden. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying all that's possible. But sure. Let's, 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 just, let's just turn the great wheel of culture one more time and say this. 
you could look at this record and be like, this is an afterthought. It's confused. There are all these tracks, some of which are like one minute long, two minutes long. There, are, the, this, the single work with Drake is very, very good, yeah. but it is very, very understated. So it's very possible to look at this and be like, this is not just a whoopsie of a release. This is kind of a whoopsie of an album for one of our biggest pop stars. Right. However, Chris, I would argue the alternative. You would argue I that would this say, is excellent. I'm just going to... I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna drop something, and I'm gonna step away and take my answer off off air. Okay, that's not true. That would be really weird if I just pieced out <laughs> and let you monologue. To finally, have a solo minutes. show. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to pick at the scab there. Um, maybe you should work that out on jam session. Look, uh, I think this is Rihanna's best album. Now, what I mean is, this does not have her best songs on it, because we all know that whether it is 2016 or 2036. The greatest hits of Rihanna is going to be one of the most perfect albums ever yeah, made. Yeah, that's, like, that's going to be up there with the Eagles. What I'm saying is, rest in peace to the god Glenn, um, Rihanna hasn't made very many good albums. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Like, I don't know how much time you or the rest of our listeners have spent just trolling the ocean you know, for like, like Dayboat Scallop deep cuts on Rihanna albums. <laughs> it's super shallow. How like, much time did you spend three to it? five. In the basement you know, tapes of Rihanna. I would say... I would say I've done some time. Okay. I've done some time in the deep Spotify trenches, and I, I definitely went back and revisited over the last few days. You can see, like, around track 10 or 11 of every Rihanna album dating back to 2005 or whenever, you know, um, Music of the Sun dropped. Like, track 10 or 11 is the one where the studio was, or, or Jay-Z or the, the, her label was just like, you know who's really big this year is uh, Reggae King Sean Paul. Like, let's get him on a track. Right. Like, how can we work Vibes Cartel into this mix? Right. Who's hot this year? It was basically, you know, the sort of catch-as-catch-can trying to chase whatever popularity is happening at that moment. This record is weirdly personal, weirdly imperfect in a way that's very, very appealing. And for all of Rihanna's talents, and I think there are many, although, you know, as anyone who saw Battleship would say, probably acting is not, not top five, but all of her other abilities and talents... Her voice very, very, very rarely gets complimented, right? People talk about her, her, her skill at A&Ring her own career, basically. Sure. Or her charisma. Her voice is a really interesting instrument, and it sounds terrific on this record. And the first four tracks of Anti are close to flawless. Yeah, I mean... The, that's what I gotta say. That's like Consideration and Desperado, which has that kind of future flow to it. There's uh what's 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 one of the other first five tracks uh, uh kiss it better which just got this kind of beautiful that's my jam Prince vibe to it um I you know as far as fascinated as I am by the album that we got I'm kind of also really interested in the album we didn't get uh so I was doing a little bit of reading about about the the sort of product the making of the album we remember that there was an original like Kanye West executive produced version of this album. Uh, that was sort of announced last year at some point when four or five seconds came out. And that's when he was sort of comparing her to Annie Lennox. And it was going to be this hybrid pop soul record. Then there were reports of Sia songs. Calvin Harris and Tinashe did a song. Grimes did a song. All wow. these things got cut. Nao is supposedly working on it. I would love to see the receipts on how much this record cost because it's just, you don't really see acts of largesse like this very much in the music industry anymore. There are only very, her, Adele, there are very few artists that would be worth $5 million in R&D to just come up with the 13 it's, songs that you actually wind up putting out. But the reason she's able to do that is not only is she a global superstar, it's that Samsung already made the album platinum. Right. They did a Magna Carta Holy Grail type deal where Samsung 
when it's when we say Samsung quote bought a million copies of the album, I mean, what are they selling it for? We don't know, but it's already you know it's already recouped at least some of the money that it cost to make this thing. But you know, when you're talking about R and Ding albums, one of my favorite things about this current moment in pop music is that we get to see the R and D process in real time. Yeah, and I'm fascinated by this not it's, i don't even want to call it sloppiness but the imperfection and the humanity basically of trying shit out and seeing if it sticks mm-hmm. so trying those three singles last year trying directions seeing what's working seeing what's not scrapping it i'm a big big fan of that and it's you know and it makes me think about how kanye you know announced the record two weeks ago changed the title three days later and then this weekend we're hearing reports about how andre 3000 from outcast was taking an uber to the studio this is a record that is coming out in 10 days. Yeah. Like, work... We'll see. For, for as... In, exactly. For as infuriating as, um, you know, the social media era of music, of the music industry has been... Yeah. Um, these are warts and sausage making that I do not mind seeing. I think it's interesting. And I think that that's led to an album that is definitely going to be more of a comma than an exclamation point in her career. Yeah. But it's definitely going to be the one that many people will be pointing to as her most interesting or the lost classic. I mean, this is... I'm not... Okay, look. Let's all ratchet it down. This is not Rihanna's Tusk, okay? <laughs> but it's fascinating to see a a global icon who's famous for being basically a chilly perfectionist let it rip a little bit. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's been consistent in a lot of the things that have been written about Auntie is just about how much... Uh, we project onto Rihanna, especially Rihanna's music, because of what we think we know about her as a person based on some of her other, you know, like based on her Instagram or based on the the tabloid photos we see of her and Leonardo DiCaprio on a yacht. And the idea that she is just this sort of successful uh, single woman who is having affairs and sort of uh, like trying to realize her own her own joy in life and that this record is kind of the the liner notes to that it's interesting to think about the record as of a piece of a larger popular cultural life that we're all monitoring i mean th- this is sort of what's happening with kanye too where for as much as people are probably now excited for waves after maybe being a little bit nervous about what was coming with all day and facts uh nothing propels interest in kanye's records like non-musical kanye right and that's what happened yeah. with the twitter but- beef with quiz let me let me begin this part of our conversation by saying something. Uh, let me make a blanket statement here. Okay, are you okay with that? Sure, I love it. Let, let's just let, let's just assume that there are people out there. I'm sure no one who listens to our show, but there are people out there, good, decent, law-abiding Americans, who hear about Kanye's antics or see that he's he's tweeting again, and their only response is, "Ugh." <laughs> to those people, I would really like to address this next question: What? What do you want from a right. pop star or right. an entertainer in 2016? I'm not even going to dive into the choppy, frigid waters of rockism. I don't want to make that argument right now, saying, like, you know, if you'd rather be listening to the Eagles' greatest hits, then go listen to the Eagles' greatest hits. That's fine. No disrespect. Shout out to the god Glenn Frey. <laughs> but what is what pop music should be fun. This should be exhilarating and crazy and showy and obnoxious and the minute you start wanting your pop stars to behave like gentlemen Mm -hmm. or to be polite you end up with the lumineers like that is the punishment you obviously don't know about that is 
the Lumineers beef with of monsters and men is just savage. Yeah. It's just it's just deep, deep loot strings. Those dudes are just throwing Look. mason jars at one another. <laughs> the mason jars of sweet tea. Yeah. Sweet, sweet tea. Uh, that that was my main takeaway. Like this is outrageous theater. And it yes, is it partly calculated? Yes. Is it partly gross? Yes. Yeah. It is all of those things at once. And that does not take away from the music. It does not take away from any of our cultural engagement with it, but it is culture, and it is worthy of paying attention to. That, and so I, that is my number one starting place for this. Right, and I think that it was funny to watch. Watching that, that Twitter thing that happened, first of all, it was one of the great moments of recent Twitter. Just, just the fact that it was happening. Twitter is, has become oh. so like, codified now. It's just To have somebody just kind of take the safety off was sort of amazing and be like, you stole your whole shit from Cuddy was just like, I was like, this is incredible. He got really raw, though. He went, really like went after Amber and, and, and it, was, it was messed up and people rightfully Look, called him out on that. I don't think that... The, I, I think every one of us, even the ardent Kanye defenders, like the two of us, we were all sitting around like the news team from Anchorman after a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, that really escalated yeah. quickly. Kanye, I mean, Kanye I mean, killed Br- a guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Brick had a trident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kanye like, a, that went from... Don C had a trident. 100 real, real, real quick. Yeah. Um, and then one of the best parts of it, before we even get into it, was that it was all a misunderstanding. Yeah. Like, that's even better. That was the best. (laughs) That he was just like, I've just been told that KK doesn't mean that. My bad. Do you you think it was Doug from IT that told him that? (laughs) Doug Doug from Title. (laughs) Doug at Title.com. You think Doug from Title, like, (laughs) he just sent him him a quick Snapchat message or a WhatsApp, you know, and he's just like, hey, Mr. West. (laughs) It's not really my purview. uh, I'm more of a... My my whole thing recently has just been ramping up to releasing this Rihanna record, which is what I'm 100% concentrating on. <laughs> but I, did but, have, I would just happen to be on like UrbanDictionary.com. And it's I noticed... familiar with the initials for certain weed strains. <laughs> which, which definitely won't come into play later in the week for me. Right. Um, it, <laughs> I mean, it, is a, it was fraught. And yeah, it was super gross that he went after Amber and spoke about her that way and that he spoke about a child that way. It was completely inappropriate. But again, I don't think you can apply those filters to Kanye West because everything he does is performance, whether it's intentional or not. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you're saying, which is basically that if you want to break the shackles of boredom, sometimes you're going to wander into the seas of offensiveness. You know what I mean? Like, It's hard to find something that's going to be improvisatory and alive like that and not always just toe the line of like decorum you know i wish we lived in a world where that did happen but that doesn't always it's not always the case and and you know i wish that it maybe that it took something other than or something greater than a relatively minor weed rapper writing random initials on his twitter feed to spark the dragon yeah you know like i i feel like but the truth is he was looking for something because he is fully on right now. Like we had heard some stories from people who kn- know Kanye that like the reason the record was not coming out last year is because he was much more interested in like breaking into the Korean pop star market yeah. or marketing his clothing line. He's 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 on his he's on his he stuff seems right focused. now. He's got you know? Kirk Franklin in the some... studio. He's got Diddy in the studio. French Montana's there. This is 
in all the you know there there are a couple founding myths that you and I really like. You know, I think we like when Prometheus stole fire. I think we think that was pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. And we also like when Kanye recorded my beautiful dark twisted fantasy in 09 and 2010 and he went to Hawaii and he put up a sign on the studio that said what would Mob Deep do and he invited everyone who was awesome yeah. to come eat breakfast with him and record all night. Eat some and poke like, and and make and make all the lights and make a masterpiece. Yeah. And so he does seem like he is doing the Snapchat version of that now. He's just been hold he's been holed up in I don't know like Studio City for two and a half weeks, but he's doing it again and it's interesting and we are super excited. Yeah, I'm really interested. I want to know what like he announced the, the release date of the record when he changed the name to Waves like Swish was coming out February 11th and he changed the name to Waves then everybody got mad at him because he was stealing from Max B which is like I, I I find this is probably the funniest part about all this is just if you told me in like 2009 or 2008 <laughs> that that Max B was going to have this kind of hold over the creative consciousness of rap I would have been surprised uh you would have been pretty excited i would have been pretty excited i mean the coke wave was definitely the coke wave but uh i didn't think that it would be a matter of like national debate this is actually okay so we talked about how sort of doug from title screwed up ante and then kanye is still tweeting about wiz khalifa and working on his record 11 days before it's supposed to come out while those things are all kind of being messy there is one person who is uh, kind of just got it all figured out just knows how to tell people that a record is coming and release a single. Mm -hmm. And that's Drake. He put out uh, Summer 16 uh, during a uh, OVO sound session, which is his Apple radio show on Saturday, I think. Uh, Didn't take much, just saying low and Drake tweeting about how he's going to do a show on Saturday. Drake comes on, says, what's up? Summer, uh, you know, Views from the Six is coming in April. You're going to hear the first single. I'm going to play a Max B song first, which was hilarious. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he wound up playing a really amazing uh, Nas remix of March Madness by Future. Did you hear that? I did hear that. That was very special to me. And then the guy just puts puts up his new single. And aside from whether or not the song is good or not, which we're going to get to in a second, it was just sort of a case study. as like, man, Drake really has this all figured out. This is going to be the third what album. Did, uh, what did Zane Lowe say? Oh, Zane exactly. just tweeted. Like, Zane just tweeted like OVO sound, like get get after it. Also, I don't know if Zane Lowe is like necessarily pulling people away from, you know, whatever like the Home Depot run they were making on Saturdays to be like, oh, Zane Lowe tweeted, I gotta get home. <laughs> but but isn't the whole point of Zane Lowe, you know, human emoji oh, basically yeah. to get people home from Home Depot? I mean, I don't know if people realize that like when I was out there a couple weeks ago, we are ago, living in a dystopian fantasy. <laughs> But now the reel is back. Drake, you, Saturday. You jumped in my rental car, <laughs> grabbed the wire, shoved it with great alacrity into your phone just so you could play me when Zane Lowe was talking about Adele. Yeah, because like, Julie, yeah, Julie had to cut that clip. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, what do you think of Summer 16? I think it's good. And I think it's... I, I think that actually... What you're saying dovetails with my opinion of it, which is that it is immaculately controlled. You know, even the title. Boy, that's clever. Yeah. Boy, he really figured that out. That's very good. He's, he's, he's dropping 16 for the summer, but it's also his year, and it's this year, and that's very good. And I enjoyed it. And again, as a fan of the culture around music, almost as much as the music itself at this point, Yeah. Um, firing up local New York rap radio this morning and hearing both Hot 97 and Power 105 
just losing their minds over the existence of it. Right. And playing it and talking about it and talking about the, this sort of surprising weekend diss at the, at the top of one of the verses. And just like, what does that mean? What's going on? What's going on in Toronto? Which if you told me that's what people would be talking about in rap five years ago, <laughs> I, I would have also been confused. Here's the thing. Toronto is um, going to be the epicenter of rap and Max B is yeah. going to be the most important rapper ever. I would have been like, what? Uh, <laughs> is Cardinal Official then, really and, but, big right now or what? But on the plus side, and chaos, but on the plus side, you and Chris have a podcast. I'd be like, what's a podcast? <laughs> um, it would have been great. But but I listened to that, and it's it's a very enjoyable track. But I kind of wish he wasn't still on the Meek stuff. Yeah. Like, the fact that then Meek released a track last night, too. And they are both super excited that they were at the Four Seasons in Toronto on the same night. And yeah. I'm like, guys... Guys, I know you wanted to get your Star Wars preferred points. Just get them on fleek for sixteen, but like that's that's pretty ticky tack, you know? Yeah, it is. It's sort of strange to hear. It's it's very much just like hold me back, hold me back. You know, like when the guys are getting a fight and nobody's holding them back. They're like, hold me back! I'm coming. It's like a little bit of that. Um, I my my feeling about the Drake song is that well, more about this whole my like slight read on this whole thing is that. He has got in his head something that Views from the Six needs to be. And because I just have a feeling like it's not there yet, he keeps putting out these really cool things instead of Views from the Six. So it's like, you know, it was like yeah. Views from the Six was going to be the next album. And then out of nowhere, he just puts, if you're reading this, it's too late up. And then Views from the Six was going to come last year. And then out of nowhere, um, What a Time to Be Alive comes out. And then it's like, okay, now Views from the Six is really coming and he's got a date and everything. But the first song he put out is pretty much a if you're reading this it's too late style song that's about a beef that he won months ago let's let's talk about this though like it is not new to music for the biggest musicians and the most ambitious musicians to need or cl- seem to need motivation in a almost sports like yeah. way yeah very good point right yes. in the same way that in the same way that one remembers um, how Jeff know, championship- Beck and Eric Clapton often played off of one another <laughs> Or Eric Clapton and George Harrison swapped wives, basically, right? Like, there was some stuff going on. Yeah. What I'm saying is, um, you know, championship teams, even who are, like, even the Warriors this year will be like, nobody believed in us. Yeah, right. And everyone will be like, actually, everyone on earth pretty much believes oh, in I, you. Yeah, that's, but this is the, the that, Jordan thing need... where it's like a guy looks at you wrong and you're like, well, now I have to score 60 on you and break one of your ribs. You constantly need the motivation, right? Right. And I don't know what it says about the the artists we're talking about, or maybe the fractured nature of the music business, the music industry, the music culture, that the manufactured grindstones here don't seem to be necessarily worthy of either the artists or the art. So, like, I want a world where Drake and Kanye are saying ridiculous world-beating things, and I want the same out of, I don't know who else is in the category, whether it's Rihanna or Adele or um, Sia, or I don't know. Like, who else is at the very top? I want them all to be constantly challenged and inspired by each other. That's that was fun. That was what was fun it's about music. Super every important decade, to me that the popular music. It's really important to me that Sia feels thing. challenged. <laughs> you just put her in my head. By the way, <laughs> our man, our man Jack Antonoff has a has a track that knocks on that Sia record. I gotta say, <laughs> okay. House on Fire. It's good. Um. Make, make make that make that sound again. I want to I want I want to make a SoundCloud out of your <laughs> disdainful snorting. Scoff. Make a full soundboard out of that. Anyway, 
but you get what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like sure. You want the greats to challenge each other and push each other. Absolutely. And then what we're talking about here is a random tweet about weed from the dude who on um, the, the dude who forever will now be known as, as the, the Furious Paul Seven dude. soundtrack guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as Paul, and, Paul Walker's you know, balladeer. <laughs> and meanwhile, in Drake's world, Meek Mill's body isn't still warm. Meek Mill's body is colder than the Tasty Cake Factory after they shut the lights down and the power out for the holidays, okay? <laughs> the last cricket has left that the dude. building. Yeah, I know. That's what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so you don't need to, like, young Frankenstein him back. You don't need to do that. Yeah, there but should be from something the else grave, Meek is still swinging. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. And yeah. this is going to sound like I have Philly bias, and I do. Meek yeah, one war pain is better than summer sixteen. Don't at me. Wow. <laughs> war pain. Is it really called war pain? It is. It's he also just like when you give me a beat like that and Meek starts screaming about about like you know stealing dudes OVO chains. It doesn't really matter like lyrically whether or not he scores debate points. I just no. really like the vibe. No, no, but here's the thing. Here's, here's why Drake really won, though, and not just because he's the most successful and popular <laughs> artist in the world, and Meek Mill, you know, is the, Meek Mill would appreciate our Tasty Cake Factory joke. Can I just say what shout out to is, Meek for bragging about going to a, getting courtside seats to a Sixers game? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They give them away at the Tasty Cake Factory, and the dude who fills the butterscotch crimpets is like, Nah, I'm good. And it's me, Nicki Minaj, and Doug from Title courtside. <laughs> Doug from Doug! Title and uh, and and uh, and 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 Harvey in the morning from Magic 101, and they're just all in a line together, like the biggest stars of Philly. Look, what I'm saying is, is that that track Warpaint, that beat is really exciting. But that beat was really exciting. Would be really exciting if we were still 26 and just just driving down Township Line Road in an old Saab. You know what I mean? Right. Like now, I listen to that first verse. I'm like, yeah, yeah, and then I'm like. <laughs> Well, you know, I think my toast is done. Like I kind of want something a little more mellow for the next phase of my morning. That's just me. Uh, let's take a quick break as we slip into the second half of the pod. We're going to be talking about people versus OJ Simpson. We'll be right back. I've been in my cell for a week straight. Locked down 24, no more Philippe State. Damn, shit so rare, seen fake. Damn, let me take you to the green gate. When we were selling white girl. We just pulled the white Bronco into the driveway, uh, Andy, and we're here to talk about um, American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. I'm excited to talk about this. I am shocked, Chris. I am shocked. This show is great. Yeah. So I was really not expecting that. We're recording this on a Monday. The show uh, debuts tomorrow night. We're going to talk a little bit. In a case like this, it's sort of hard to have spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah. That we know, this, is, we know. this is all very much in the public so record. So if you are compl- going into this completely blind and have been saving all of your OJ intake for this miniseries, you might want to skip this section. But Andy and I watched a couple of episodes and we just want to talk you know, generally about what an accomplishment this show is because... It is hella entertaining. And the first thing I wanted to mention about it, if that's okay, is just that I realized when watching this how unentertaining television can be sometimes. And how we have been Amen, watching brother. a lot of TV recently that they you look at the, the timer at the bottom of your screen and it's like 53 minutes and you're like, holy shit. 
this feels like it's 53 <laughs> hours. I mean, I love London Spy, but there is a lot of shots of like the river and like people walking. Yeah. There is no rivers in OJ, man. They just get right into it. It is so propulsive. Um, it is, it's, the episodes fly by. I, it is a real accomplishment. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the best place to start, which is to say, I think this is going to be super popular for a number of reasons. But the number one reason that it will be popular, and probably the least reported reason why it will be popular, is people will be paying attention to the... It's all Schwimmer. People will be attention, paying attention to the salacious nature of the case, to the relevance of today, to the anniversary of this you know, thing that riveted the nation, to the cast, to Schwimmer. This is expertly made TV. Yeah. This is so fun to watch, and it really grabs you. So let's let's just... It's a big picture it. So this is um, a 10-part miniseries for FX. I imagine there will not be a season two of The People vs. O.J. Simpson unless people want nine more episodes about the time he ran into a Las Vegas hotel room and busted up some people over baseball cards. Um, Ryan Murphy, who is responsible for many things that I dislike in this world, uh, the movie Eat, Pray, Love, American Horror Story, Scream Queens, all these things I have no time for uh, is actually the guy in many ways, behind this show. So this is going to be a new anthology series. American Crime Story is the name of it. They're going to do a different real-life case, a fictionalized version of it every year. Um, next season, is appara- the, thing the next say. season I- they're going to do is apparently Katrina. Yeah, which I was appalled by, and now I think, who knows? Because here's the thing to remember. This was this project originated with Scott Alexander and Larry Kraszewski, who are guys who made... Uh, they wrote Ed Wood. They wrote The People versus Larry Flint. Their thing is... Um, fictionalized versions of salacious to almost too crazy to be true true stories Mm -hmm. they were making the show anyway and then ryan murphy came aboard as a as the executive producer um and basically rainmaker of the whole thing and then directed the first episode this allows him to do the things that he does very very well even i even though i'm allergic to him i can admit the things that he does very well he is very very good at corralling spectacle he's very very good at attracting talent and using that talent in interesting ways and he is an expert observer of the extremity of taste now in the case of american horror story that might be dylan mcdermott in a gimp suit so hard pass right in the case of this show it is the insane um feng shui interiority of a brentwood kitchen with just like too many islands and marble countertops that no one will ever use. There is something that is so distinctly Los Angeles and California about it in a very specific, not necessarily appealing way. So the thing just looks amazing. I think another thing that Murphy obviously brings to it is a real, real gift for casting. I found some of his direction in the first two episodes to be a little ham-fisted. Like there's pretty much no scene goes by without a rush close-up of of like from across the room to a close up on Chris Darden or Marsha Cross or Robert Shapiro or wherever every scene has one of those but he has got a real gift for casting i mean when the first time you see Connie Britton and Selma Blair playing Faye Resnick and Chris Jenner and Selma Blair is admonishing Kim and Courtney to stop running around at Nicole uh Brown Simpson's uh funeral you are just like this is this guy is out of his mind there's so many great moments like that um, Malcolm Jamal Mourner as Al Cowling. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's insane who he got to be in this, just doing these little parts. All like Chris Bauer from The Wire season two playing, uh, you know, a detective, Stephen Pasquale as Mark Furman. <laughs> just all the people. What about, uh, what about Bruce Greenwood as, uh, uh, as Gil Garcetti? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And then there's there's there are moments, right, when you're watching three actors that we recognize as themselves. They are that famous. So we're seeing Cuba Gooding Jr., who plays OJ. We're seeing John Travolta, who plays Robert Shapiro. And we're seeing David Schwimmer, who plays Robert Kardashian. The three of them are having a very intense scene yeah. early on in the series. And it works on multiple levels. It works because all of them are giving terrific performances that are within their characters and not stepping beyond that. I'll come back to that in the case of Travolta, too. I want to say something else about it. But it also works because this is a show about the corrosive nature of celebrity and the salacious nature of our celebrity-obsessed culture. So it's working on two levels, that we are seeing these people inhabiting other people. Um, Back to Travolta, he's the one who's been singled out a lot for potentially not fully inhabiting his character for being <laughs> he's fully inhabiting something in there yeah <laughs> i think he's terrific i think it's a really great performance and a really sneaky interesting performance too yeah. because one of the things about this and this this whole series was drawn from jeffrey tubin the legal writer from the new yorker's book uh, the run of his life the book hits a pretty hard tone you know the book begins from a place of this dude murdered those people right. and then let's see what this what this entire catastrophe how it unfolded the way that Travolta is playing a defense attorney who is really only representing himself, mm-hmm. um, how everyone is essentially looking out for themselves, how, you know, one of the main players in this is Cato Kalin, a guy who, why is he there again? Right. And yet he is somehow in the inner circle. The show does something that I think is really fascinating in the way that it, it, it takes a larger than life real event and somehow brings us inside of it to a way that it almost begins to feel fascinatingly banal like when they shoot the inside of the bronco and oj's in there with a gun and malcolm jamal warner is driving there's a moment when you can it's not just that you can sort of feel the leather of like in like 90s cars it's very very specific there's the moment when they use this crappy old car phone to call 911 to say clear the highway and all this is apparently true but malcolm jamal warner is just like the, the, the dispatcher's like, who is this? Where are you? And he's like, you know who this is, goddammit. Yeah, well, that, I remember that like, phone call. They played that. They were like, it's AC. How, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how frustrating would it be to be having this very intense private breakdown, but on every channel on television? Yeah. And cut into the NBA finals. The, 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 the amazing collision between high and low, between private and public, this show does it in a way that is just staggeringly creative it's also uh it's a testament to how entertaining it is that even the silly stuff you just blow right by and just enjoy i mean i think it it really is if you can enjoy something despite or in because of its silliness then it means it's really working and there's something about how in the first episode especially um you know sarah paulson does a really good job playing marsh clark but marsh clark doesn't know anything about oj and what's great is like every single scene is like OJ, the juice, 2,600 yards for USC. OJ, come on, you know, the juice man, that 65-yard run against UCLA. It's like he, nobody He talks. was in some naked gun movies. Yeah, but it was also like the way that people talk in like complete uh, like Associated Press gamers. It was a cold day in Pasadena when OJ rushed for 47 <laughs> yards against a, a, a stout Oregon State defense. Um, also, shout let, out, let me just say... Um, Shout out to I didn't I want to know whether this is actually accurate, but Marsha Cross was apparently the last person in Los Angeles to smoke Marcia indoors. Marsha Clark. Marsha Clark. Clark. Sorry, Marsha Cross is from uh, from Melrose Place or whatever. Um, Marsha Clark 
was apparently the last person to smoke in Los Angeles indoors. So she's just always like stubbing out a parliament on top of a crawler while all these other guys are just probably like, we all know that secondhand smoke kills. What are you doing? She she's a G man. Like, like if this, the show made, they made a lot of really smart choices and making Sarah Paulson's Marsha Clark and uh, Sterling Brown's uh, Chris Darden sort of, the protagonist, not, not protagonist, but the most sympathetic, almost heroic figures, not only knowing what happens to them, like what the culture and what, what the cameras did to them, yeah. makes it even more anguishing to watch. But it's very, very, it, it, it's, it's really smart. And the smartest choice that they make by far, I think, well, one was casting Courtney B. Vance as Johnny Cochran. Oof. Because this performance is my, it's going to be hard to top this as my favorite performance of the year. It's lit. It's really Courtney good. B. Vance is a dude who is good in everything he's ever done. He, as soon as he's on the screen, you're like, that's the dude. He has rarely gotten to just 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 stun on people like he does in this role. Only in Hunt for Rock yeah. <laughs> and, and it's been a little bit of a drought since then. But it's not just... But the point is, like, Johnny Cochran in the popular imagination is really Jackie Childs from Seinfeld, right? Mm-hmm. Which is sort of like a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Like an opportunistic buffoon. And what this show immediately does, I thought that, that he wasn't even going to enter the show until like episode six or seven when he joined the defense team. He's there from episode one, and he's watching. And he is basically, he's the one who is articulating what this case means in this particular moment in terms of Los Angeles, in terms of police brutality, in terms of race relations in yeah. America. Yeah, yeah. And he is able to express and embody the duality of the situation where he's like, this case is a loser. This dude murdered someone. But he's also like, this system is bullshit. Yeah. The system is broken and rigged. The show is really and good. Both at, can be true at the same time. It's really good at setting up characters who are basically illuminating different parts of Los Angeles, the Los Angeles popular imagination. Like whether it's Connie and Connie Burton and Selma Blair are kind of like these the the original Real Housewives, and Johnny Cochran is speaking from like an institutional knowledge of <laughs> of the racism that Black people had faced in Los Angeles for thirty years, and you know. Uh, just seeing like they they do a good job of of yes it's exposition but it's it moves so quickly that it's not it doesn't feel like you're being taught something it feels like you're really getting to enjoy a, a procedural and it is very much a procedural in the the literal sense it's not like it's just like this is what they did they approached the door like this they went through the door like this they found the oj's daughter sleeping and there was candles in the bathtub oh. and all that stuff it's so detailed it's it's just fascinating to watch the, the, these are also you know we we are of a certain age and i think a lot of people watching this maybe didn't live through these things didn't watch the bronco chase on live tv like i'm sure we both did um there are also people watching the show probably who are older than us and were m- more aware of what the significance and the just the insanity of the situation was yeah. right from the beginning. Um, and one thing that was really made clear to me in watching the first few episodes is as much as I paid attention to this at the time, which was like our senior year of high school basically for us, and then I remember the verdict came out the fall of freshman year of college, um, I don't... I, all I really remember now are talking points. I was not a savvy enough thinker to understand the significance of the LA riots mm-hmm. happening just two years before this. No. I was not paying attention to the details of the case and the legality of the case and all the little things that allowed this to snowball and become what it did. How it became something much, much larger than this ridiculous miscarriage of justice. You know, um, There's a line 
later in the series when the father of of uh, of Goldman, you know, the other victim, mm-hmm. is basically his rage and his fury and his sorrow, but for his son to his son's murder to be a footnote in something else. Sure. When someone actually died, these are the details that are lost in history, and this is some. This is what these are the amazingly. Um, these are this is the insight that a, that a series like this can actually provide. And you know, I wanted to bring it up also because a lo- you know a lot of people are talking about this making a murderer show. Yes. You know, I, I think I like this sort of thing. I like something like the O.J. Simpson show more because it is so ex- it's scripted, and you can see the thumbprints of the person adapting it more clearly yeah because from what i gather a lot of the issue with making a murderer is that oh it's this you know engaging illuminating docuseries about truth but of course all documentaries have a are subjective everything is subjective and it's not really possible to have the objective truth and i would i almost like that to be more clear from the beginning and then we know whose version of the story we're seeing and we can engage and embrace it as such well anytime you can say to somebody you know the story but not the story behind the story i think that you wind up that that sparks something because also it it I have to say relieves a certain there's a there's a kind of relief in in watching this where you just aren't as obsessed with endings. Do you know what I mean? We know how it ends. That's right. That's uh, right. And it's also but it, but also the 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 celebrity behind it and I mean not just the celebrities in it or the celebrities that it's about but the celebrity of the case itself. Yeah. makes it fe- lends it the kind of zeitgeisty spark that we have in the past lamented um, draining away from television. Yeah. In the same way that, like, we had so much fun talking about the end of Breaking Bad because everyone was watching it with us. And we always have so much fun talking about Game of Thrones because it certainly feels like tens of millions of people are watching it with us. Um, Togetherness, the Duplass Brothers show, is coming back to HBO very soon. I'm psyched. I can't wait. I really love that show. But are we going to talk about it? Because... That is a show that I feel like I'm going to enjoy watching, you know, at 10 p.m. on a Wednesday, maybe get something emotionally engaging out of it and then move on. And I, I it, it almost feels silly to be like, you guys really need to watch this drama right. slash comedy about disaffected late 30s white people <laughs> in the hip parts of L.A. I like, will, it just, it's hard to grab people with that. I watch it every Monday at 1230 Pacific time, but brother... <laughs> that's your thing that's also that's that's really your story though togetherness yeah. um all right man well it's let's wrap it up life. there uh we'll be back next week don't forget to check out jam session this week on the channel 33 podcast feed subscribe itunes stitcher soundcloud search for us on the watch or channel 33 right and yeah, we might uh we might be a little bit late next week because i'm coming out there i'm gonna be with you again yeah, in person in person all right everybody talk we, to you next we can week finally <laughs> Good job, Ransky. <laughs>